This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Now I'm getting a little shaky on my New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, I haven't used the Headspace app this year. Um, I haven't written in the reasonably expensive journal that I got for the purpose, so that's disappointing. <laughs> Pete, at least it's only one twelfth of the way through the year. Don't worry about yeah, it. You're fine. Yeah, yeah, so so you know it's good. I feel bad about it. If that helps, that's that, that's, that's probably productive. One of my big New Year's resolutions um, this year was to watch a horror film, right? And so week on week, I feel like this podcast has been building up to it, and. I'm now starting to get a bit concerned that much like the New Year's resolutions that I referred to moments ago, that my horror film movie resolution is now just getting a little bit shaky because I um, have decided the best way to run our TikTok account that is underscore spooko underscore is for me to review spooky stories on TikTok and to just react live without looking at them beforehand. (laughs) And I did one last night and I had genuine nightmares as a result of a 60 second slightly goofy TikTok video. And so my concern is, is that my poor, poor brain would not be able to cope with seeing a real horror movie and um, the difficulty that's going to arise from that is going to be something that no amount of journaling or failed use of the Headspace app will be able to get me through. All right, Peach, we're both big boys and we have big boy jobs. And mm. as part of my big boy job, I have a leadership coach and mm. we, like, I love him, although hilariously, we have nothing in common because he's a really jockey dude and he gives a lot of his advice in metaphors, but he pretty much only has sports metaphors. So before he can give any advice, he's like, so you a tennis fan? I'm like, no, it's like, oh, okay. Jiu-jitsu fan? No. Oh. Cricket fan? No. So, you know, it, it's difficult. But yeah. one of the things he's taught me and, you know, mm. one of the things you would know as someone who has a big boy job in, you know, a leadership mm. role is that accountability is key. So mm. all of those, are, you know, listening to Headspace. Just like in tennis. <laughs> <laughs> but, but look, listening to Headspace, you're accountable to no one, you'll never listen to it. Writing yep. in your journal, accountable to no one, you'll never listen to it. We're going yep. to watch this movie together. You're accountable to me. So oh, whether you like shit. it or not, it's going to happen. It's so scary, Shag. You should have seen this TikTok. Like, I know, like, <laughs> like, I'm, like I don't know. It's, it was really scary. I think it was just a shot from Insidious at the end of, like, stock footage. <laughs> and we were meant to think it was a goofy story. And then it just closed. Like, it's, like, I'm spooked. Okay, number one, I love your TikTok content. Hopefully we're getting double digit views this week. I don't know. I'm not sure we're quite at double digits yet. <laughs> Let me just give you a live update. So this one I posted last night about 12 hours ago. Let me just see and we hop. Um, 
We're not quite at double digits, and we're not quite halfway to double digits. So, um, and one so of the views is me. Well. One of the views yeah. is me. And the only like is me. So you know, it's tough times. It's tough times. You have introduced me to a lot of TikTok, and in fact, most of the TikTok I watch mm. are videos you share. One oh, of my favorite genres of TikTok humor is mm. the title is the setup. The video is the build and the punchline comes in the last two seconds. So, for example, mm. the video might be Bane sings tequila. And so the whole video is like... Tequila. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hugely, hugely. It's the time spent watching like TikTok. You're like, what's going to happen? And wasting 15 seconds doesn't feel like a huge waste. So you're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, let's see. Let's see. So today's film has a twist that spends the entire movie building up to it in that same vein. Now, I want to take a step back and say there are a few things we're pro and against on this podcast. You know, we've taken stands. Like, for example, plays, fuck them. We hate plays. Yeah, forget plays. (laughs) Boo, boo. (laughs) On the other hand, horror films, we like them. We think they're great, right? Conceptually, look, I, I'm very open mind. I'm reasonably open minded, but sort of less and less open minded as more time passes. I find this year, especially. Well, I guess what I wanted to say is we've been very conceptual. We've been talking about them. I've been talking about, you know, what I love about them, good things they can do with narrative, good mm. things they can do about explaining stories like we had in Cam. Mm. But that doesn't mean horror films aren't still problematic. And I'm not talking about the 80s where it was like boobs and gore went hand in hand or every bad guy was mentally insane. And I'm not talking about that sort of like almost hokey, you know, problematicness. I'm what today I want to talk about a film that I've actually wanted to do for a while. I've actually never seen, but the Wikipedia synopsis does such a good job of explaining it that I think both of us, especially you now that you've heard so many, will feel like we've seen it at the end and we'll have very many questions, not just about its insanely problematic twist, but all of the problematic things that happen all the way through. Today we're doing a film from 2009 called The Sixth Sense. (laughs) It's called Orphan. Adopting an older child is not an easy decision. My name is Esther. Well, why aren't you down at the party? I've never really seen the point of it. I guess I'm different. There's nothing wrong with being different, you know. This is an extraordinary little girl. She's very mature for her age. You seem to have made quite a connection. Is this your house? It's your home, too. You're just as much part of this family as Danny and Max. It's a pleasure to meet you. This is our new student, and I'd like you all to make her feel very welcome today. Oh, look. Little Bo Peep texts me. She wants her outfit back. <laughs> Esther, what are you doing? Something's happening to cause Esther to feel this way. Trouble does have a way of finding her. Dr. Varava, I'm calling from the CERN Institute. I don't understand. How can they have no record of her being there? There has to be some explanation. The orphanage has never heard of her.
Asta? I'm being taught about horror films and I'm being taught about <laughs> horror film Wikipedia entries. And I think I'm also being taught about trailers. And I think from the trailer, this might be one of the worst films ever made. <laughs> Like, so let me tell you what it's about. Okay. Right? Some old, like, witch or someone implanted her soul or something <laughs> into the orphan and maybe a jilted ex-girlfriend of the husband. And so she's coming through to possibly, like, take over the body of the mum and to kill everyone else who's in the way so that she can eventually take over the take over their lives. Essentially, like, there's a little bit of body switching, body doubling in there, whisper of revenge going on, that kind of thing. Pitch. That was a. I mean, that was a really good attempt. You're gonna hate this movie so much more than the movie you think it is when you find out what actually happens in this. This is classed as a psychological horror, and I think they often do that when there's there's not as much mysticism and magic in this film as the trailer might lead you to believe. But also, what you might have also seen, one of the reasons this film is controversial and problematic, rightly so, like mental health shaming a child. But beyond that. Making an adopted child the enemy. So making an adopted child <laughs> the monster. So, so in a world where overwhelmingly the adopted children are the ones subject to abuse and mistreatment, yes. turning that around and making the foster child, the adopted child, the evil entity is insanely bad. Okay, let me, let me explain some of the things they had to do in releasing this film. It's one of those films where I think this was created by people who have zero life experience. And so they were like, this is a great idea. Everyone's going to love this. And when they slowly started to explaining it to people, people were like, what are you talking about? Like, what the fuck were you thinking? I think a lot of... So it's like an anti-adoption film. Well, it's wait, like a don't adopt children. Wait, so in the original trailer it had a line that had to be changed. Now, originally, the trailer had a line that said, it must be difficult to love an adopted child as much as your own. And so, obviously, people saw this and were like, you can't put that in a trailer, so they had to change that. And then, when they released the DVD, they had to put in a pro-adoption service message on it so people would consider adoption, which is kind of like putting in like a pro-clown message in the it one. You can't be like, here's the bad guy, but actually clowns are pretty cool. And like, yeah. don't be scared of them. They're all right. Don't worry about clowns. Yeah. Anyway, here's It's just it. a movie, you guys. <laughs> There's some more things, but I think, I think we'll get to them as we go through yeah, the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So this is Orphan from 2009. Hmm. So, and keep in mind as well, like, I can't give too much explanation because I've read, I've seen this trailer, I've read this synopsis, I feel like I've seen it, I feel like I don't need to see it. Um, if anybody has seen this film and I'm missing anything... Oh, you haven't seen it, girl. I've never seen I was just kind of like, fuck this movie, it, basically. Yeah, it does look like it stinks, I must say. Um, even though it was cool that um, a lovely um, actor from The Departed has got more work, I feel like she just disappeared off the face of the earth. I think she's in Insidious as well. Like, I feel like maybe she's become a horror movie sort of person for a few years there. Film starts with Kate and John Coleman, uh, and their mm. marriage is strained after the stillbirth of their third child, Jessica, whose loss is particularly hard on Kate, a recovering alcoholic. So the chess pieces are in place. Uh, yes. So this is this is written by someone who's never had to deal with yeah, any of these issues, I'm sure. Completely. Making the loss of a child a plot point or like just a yeah. little bit of backstory is... Yeah. Like, yeah. Don't forget. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. So the couple decide to adopt a nine-year-old Estonian girl, Esther, from the local orphanage. <laughs> a local orphanage? Adoption is like a really difficult process. You don't just show up. Um, mm -hmm. 
But also the way Secondly, this... you don't go raid children from a foreign country <laughs> to be like, don't worry, we'll bring you to an American orphanage. That's the whole it's point fine. of Philomena. It was fucked. Um, yeah, exactly. That uh, was that comedy with Judy Dench and Steve Coogan. Um, <laughs> it's the scariest film we've done. Another problematic element of this is a very mm. contemporary modern horror trope in that Eastern Europe is scary. So the fact that she's from Estonia immediately, because, and I look, I don't want to point fingers at the American education system, but it is mm. very inward looking. Yes. They treat Europe as basically a country rather than a set of countries. And mm. thus Estonia, even to me, I'm like, where the fuck's Estonia? But I don't see Estonia as this scary medieval place where witches and folklore reign. If it's not France, Germany, Greece, or Spain, it's basically Transylvania. They're like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have a Transylvanian accent. But here's the yeah. thing about Estonia. You even do a very cursory Wikipedia search, like I have, you find mm. that number one, in 2018, it was rated the most digitally advanced country in the world. Number two, it is home to some 1,500 different islands and many castles and hilltop fortresses. It sounds like a place I want to visit. It sounds amazing. Yeah, probably great orphanages there as well, I'm sure. <laughs> if Tourism Estonia wants to hit us up, we will shout your praises. Fuck this movie. We're here for you. Yeah, man, Estonia. Let's all, let's all go in protest. I'm about Where it. Where should we go? Should we go to the capital of Estonia, Peach? <laughs> I feel like you're setting me up for a bit of a goof. Yeah. yeah, let's start there, and then we'll go to my favourite. So, if we were going to the capital of Estonia, what would what 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 name would we put into uh, you know the, the box on the flight website? Look, I'm pleased you asked. I am delighted you asked, and it's the name that, that, that we're all thinking that we can't wait. So, big shout out to. Tallinn uh, is what you were going to say. Of course you were. <laughs> yeah, look, my favourite football teams, old um, Tallinn United, and good luck to them in the Transylvanian Cup. All right. So now remember, the mums are a recovering alcoholic. They've just adopted a nine-year-old Estonian girl. Remember, they have two <sighs> other children. Their five-year-old, uh, who's deaf, Max, but it's a daughter, so it's a girl called Max, embraces Esther almost immediately, but their 12-year-old son, Daniel, acts cold towards her. One night, after talking of how things have become since Esther came into their lives, John and Kate begin to have intercourse before Esther interrupts them. Also, such a weird, like, usually, yeah, it's, it's funny how there's no, there's no language guide to Wikipedia, so it's yep. just... It's rare that anybody would say... You and I are having intercourse right now. <laughs> like, like, we are having social intercourse right now. <laughs> That's a really... In fact, our podcast is like we're constantly having intercourse. We've had intercourse every week for 73 weeks now. Anyone listening to this is having intercourse <laughs> with us. I want, to, I want to give a shout-out to everyone who has been having intercourse with us weekly and on social media. We really appreciate the intercourse. I love having this many intercourse partners. It's really, it's really exciting. It and makes, keeps things very. I mean, engaging. a good podcast should have a strong community of people having intercourse with each other. Yes. I think. Uh, look, not to do spoilers um, or to give away the guest, but next week we've got um, Alexi Toliopoulos coming in, oh, um, which oh, is a huge. I am so get. excited! I, I'm going to spend yeah, the whole time yeah, yeah. just asking questions about finding Desperado. Uh, yeah, finding and finding Drago. But another amazing podcast he's done was called Mike Check, which I, which is one I've told told you about years ago, where they look back over the films of Mike Myers just to check if they're still good. 
And the fans of that podcast, they christened as horny babies. So I sort of see that. <laughs> as, and so he was having intercourse in a podcast sense with horny babies is the way that that, that uh, thought completes itself. I, I just think like, I wonder if you're like me in that it takes me a mm. long time to get into things. For example, it took me maybe two years after I started making podcasts for me to listen to them. Because I was like, I'll make them. I'm going to listen to them. And now I'm like, oh, wow, podcasts are great. And I can't stop listening to them. And I'm like, where were they before? Just takes me a while. I hate videos on LinkedIn. I'm like, I hate videos on LinkedIn. I never watch them. <laughs> That's actually really funny. Yeah. Okay, Kate becomes suspicious when Esther expresses far more knowledge of sex than expected of a child her age, but John theorizes she may have learned this from her previous foster parents. What? You have a nine-year-old orphan who comes in and speaks in a mature way about sex. I've got every single alarm bell there is. Like, holy shit, these are the worst parents. Well, I mean, uh, you know, Uh, Adele as a nurse works around kids and one of the things they teach you as a medical practitioner, the moment kids speak about sex in a knowledgeable way, it's usually a sign of abuse. And what's fucked about this is, I don't want to give too much of a spoiler, but there's not really any abuse in this. So the fact that they would use that as a plot point, but then be like, no, sometimes it means other things. It's it's yep. as bad as things get. Yep. So so you can see how the film is already, like keep in mind this film gets oh more problematic God. as it goes along. So, oh so later, Esther demonstrates hostile behavior, killing an injured pigeon and injuring a bullying classmate at the park, furthering Kate's suspicions. So we've got the mum who's suspicious. Suspicion of what? The, her, the daughter's fucked, basically. It's not it's a general <laughs> suspicion. We bought a lemon. Yeah, 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 awesome. We went into adopt and now we don't really, yeah, we're not really all about it. <laughs> yeah, they bought a lemon. So Sister Abigail, <laughs> the head of the orphanage, visits the household, warning Kate and John of other tragic events surrounding Esther. But also it's like there are many more things in place than the nun who heads your local orphanage explaining that, you know, maybe this kid has had some tragic experiences in her life. And it's also like, fuck with you're raising her. <laughs> like, you, like you, you are responsible for these things happening. Wait, 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 wait. It's like, it's like you come in back, no, she causes a lot of trouble. Well, don't forget that this is a horror film. So later, Esther kills Sister Abigail and pushes her body into a ditch, hiding the evidence in Daniel's treehouse. In a ditch. So he pushes the body oh, in a ditch sorry, and hides the, the body. evidence. Yeah, okay. She catches Daniel spying on her, interrogates him, and threatens to kill him if he tells his parents. It, with the greatest of respect, and not to do um, too much um, cisgendered sort of privilege, if I'm a 12-year-old boy, I'm not easily, particularly easily intimidated <laughs> by a normal-size nine-year-old girl. So I'd be like, yeah, all right, mate. Like, well but done. remember, this nine-year-old girl's suspicious. Oh, I guess suspicious. she just murdered an adult. Yeah, yeah okay, and she's enough. suspicious, so... She is. Uh, and she knows heaps more about sex than I do. So it's, yeah, it's <laughs> And you know a lot about sex. <laughs> Even as a 12-year-old. <laughs> Bloody hell. No, let's not walk down that path. Uh, so as Kate becomes further convinced about Esther's behavior, again, convinced that she's just a bit fucked, John, <sighs> John suggests that Esther could do something nice for Kate. She intentionally brings her a bouquet of flowers from Jessica's grave. <laughs> <laughs> of the stillborn child's mm, grave. Mm. 
Which the dad would know. Oh, my God. Like, this is supposed to be a thing where the dad's like, oh, she's just a nine-year-old girl. It's like the dad would be like, no, that's also fucked. I'm, I'm in line with my wife here. Yeah, but, like, uh, like what are they trying to achieve? You, you know, like, in, in line with the wife and what, trying to get her fired from being their child <laughs> or something? Like, you have two strikes, Esther. Oh, God. So Kate roughly grabs Esther's arm in response, but later that night, Esther purposely breaks her arm and blames Kate, leading to her purchasing two wine bottles. Remember that Kate is a recovering alcoholic. However, so leading to Kate purchasing two wine bottles. Yes, because because Esther two, has blamed her on breaking her arm, and Kate's like, "Oh, mm. what the fuck? Like, no one believes me. This kid is actually fucked. I'm going to go back into my uh, plot device alcoholism." To alcoholism. That's how part. alcoholism works. Yeah. Well. <laughs> 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 now, however, she resists drinking and empties one of the bottles. The next day, Esther releases the brake in the car, causing it to roll into oncoming traffic with Max inside. When Esther points out the wine bottle she found in the kitchen, John and Kate's therapist, Dr. Browning, suggest that Kate returns to rehab as John threatens to divorce her if she refuses. No good therapist would listen to this woman have, like, rightfully bad things to say about the daughter and be like, you're crazy. You're clearly crazy. And it's the alcoholism that's doing it all. And I love the therapist. is like, you see, your husband's going to divorce you. So, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, like, the therapist is like, you see, this is the answer. This is the right, you know, he's, like, he's doing the right thing. You've got to please your man. Come on. Yeah, Christ. Kate later discovers that Esther came from an Estonian mental hospital. So we've also got the mental asylum in here. Oh, my God. And the orphanage Esther claims she was from has no records of her. Again, it's your fault if you don't follow the paper trail of the child you're adopting. You're just like, I'm sure she is. I'll take this nine-year-old word for it. If you're duped on a deal, right? (laughs) Like, so, like, if you're duped on a deal, if a nine-year-old gets the better of you in document-driven negotiation then I think you've got to just accept the consequences of that. I imagine legally if you adopt a child and you went to the judge and were like, well, this nine-year-old told me they come from an an Estonian (laughs) orphanage that doesn't exist, the judge would be like, "Mm, well, I don't know what to say. (laughs) Uh, The judge would be like, what? Bring that nine-year-old in here. (laughs) I've got some questions for you. (laughs) Okay. So when Daniel learns about Sister Abigail's death from Max and searches the treehouse, Esther sets it on fire, causing Daniel to fall and lose consciousness. Esther attempts to kill him, but is prevented by Max. Okay, so now the kids, both kids, including Max, know what's going down. Mm. Yep. While Daniel is in the hospital, Esther smothers him. So second kill attempt, but he is quickly revived. I guess that's the thing. They were like, we're already a problematic movie. Do we kill a 12-year-old? Maybe maybe we don't kill a 12-year-old. If we are going to kill a 12-year-old, <laughs> let's have a nine-year-old do it. Yeah, it's like, how is this bad? It's both kids. They're He's both older. kids. Yeah. That night, okay, okay, all right, all right, okay, all right. Hold on to your horses. This is where shit gets super problematic. And oh, people no. were like, and this movie got released. Nobody wants to ban this movie. People are just like, maybe this movie shouldn't have been made. Like, maybe, like, what's going on? And wait till you see who's attached to the sequel. You're, you're going to be surprised. Chris, Chris Pratt. I bet it's Chris Pratt. <laughs> I bet it's Chris Pratt. This feels like the Chris Pratt film. So that night, 
Esther attempts to seduce a drunken John. Well, like, what does that even mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, 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 I cannot think of a more irresponsible mm. plot point. Like, mm. I cannot actually conceive mm. a more irresponsible plot point. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, wait to hear John's reaction to this. Like, what a pedophile is going to say? Like, no, like <laughs> the nine-year-old led me on. Like, it, this, this, this movie provides a defense to pedophiles. This movie defends and excuses child abuse. The current Australian of the year. Her mm-hmm. groomer and abuser. Whose name I've just fucking forgotten and I'm super embarrassed. She's amazing. Her groomer was fucked, was interviewed by yep. a far-right identity in Australia because Australia's fucked and we have so many fucking far-right identities who basically said, mm. like, this 15-year-old student who I was the teacher of led me on. And it's kind of teenage girl's fault. And it's sort of like, oh this is God. that thing. But wait, okay, so this is John's reaction to his nine-year-old adopted daughter trying to seduce him. He threatens to send Esther back to the orphanage for her behavior. Solid parenting. Like, what does adoption even mean in this circumstance? <laughs> like, it's a fairly solemn, difficult, challenging thing. And and, anyone... and you can't hold it over them for the rest of their life. It's like, whoa. Yeah, Have you cleaned your room? The, the local orphanage yeah. just hasn't moved. Stop seducing me or you're going right back to the orphanage and I'll tell them all about it. (laughs) So at the hospital, Kate is contacted by Dr. Vavra of the San Institute and learns that, okay, you ready for the twist? Learns is an interesting one, yes. And and hears him say down the phone that, yes. Yeah, so, okay, so this twist is an example of using a medical condition as a plot point. So Esther is actually a 33-year-old woman named Lena Klammer. She has hypopituarism. Yes, I think I think I know, like the pituitary gland. Yeah, hypopituarism. underdeveloped. I'm, I'm yeah. so, so like a lot of medical words I just can't get. It's a rare hormonal disorder that stunted her physical growth and caused proportional dwarfism and has spent most of her life posing as a little girl. So... I feel like as soon as I read this, I was like, I know how these dudes wrote it. They were probably like 20 years old. They read about this condition. So they're like, here's an idea for a horror movie. And then it all yep. just went from there. Yep. So Lena has murdered at least seven people, including the last family that adopted her after failing to seduce the husband there. The ribbons Esther what? wears. Like, how do we learn that? He's like, oh, she tried it on with that husband and then, <laughs> then murdered them. Like, God. The ribbons Esther wears around... Is this a story about a horny 33-year-old <laughs> woman who suffers from a difficult hormonal syndrome? She's I, just trying to trying to have some sex? At, at like, trying to deduce the meaning of this, it's basically like Estonian people are fucking scary and don't let them into America because they're murderous and they will... They will try to seduce well-meaning husbands who might just be attracted to nine-year-olds. So there's there's a lot you could read into the writers of this film, I think. 
I must say that the husband is um, about the most patriarchal and fucked character we've encountered because he literally turns to institutions to threaten <laughs> things. He's like, well, look, I'm wife, if you don't go to the institution of rehab, I'll send you. I'll use the, I'll use the tool of divorce. <laughs> it's like, child, if you don't obey my commands and behave in a normal way, I will unadopt you and you'll be back to being an orphan. His, his weapon is actually the patriarchy. Yeah, that's like his expert power. He like uses yep. it really well. All right, yeah, yep. or sort of does it. Why? Well, I suspect we're about to find out he doesn't. So the ribbons Esther wears around her wrists and neck have been hiding scars from trying to break out of a straitjacket. <laughs> you can't see it, but Peach just put his face in his hands, <laughs> and it's still there. Is that not the like, funniest sentence ever? Like, that's, that's just completely <laughs> perverse. Utterly, utterly perverse and offensive and super racist, super racist about, you know, because in Estonian mental, mental institutions, you put nine-year-olds in straitjackets, like... Uh, like uh, it's it's also nonsense. I'm sure there has not been a straitjacket used for I'll make up a length of time, sixty years, let's say, by any institution anywhere. That's so deeply offensive to everyone. Fuck it. I hate this movie, and I hate the makers of it heaps. So meanwhile, Lena removes her disguise and stabs John to death. What's her disguise? <laughs> Just the ribbon. Just being a little girl, uh, which Max witnesses. But, of course, Max is deaf. Or, no, yeah, she's deaf. After Kate rushes home, Lena grabs a gun and attempts to shoot Max in the greenhouse, but Kate breaks through the Why? roof and Why? lands on top of her. Why? Because <laughs> she's been found out. By the kids. Oh, because she's super horny yeah. and sexually frustrated. And she yeah. didn't get to bang the husband. So as Kate and Max... Is that her motivation? Well, <sighs> no, the motivate. Like, I promise you, the motivation is she's Estonian. So you're right. It's super... Like, oh, the motivation God. is Estonian people, uh, you should be wary because they're the other. Like, it is actually that. Yep. Or people with this syndrome... Uh, evil. Like you know what I mean? It's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Okay, orphans, orphans are evil. Orphans people are evil. who look like kids but are actually grown ups are evil. Yeah, people who you know, people from countries that aren't America are evil. Like you name it, this film is prejudiced against it. Oh my god! So as Kate and Max leave and the police arrive, Lena attacks Kate near a frozen pond, and you know where this is going. That knocks the gun away from Kate and hurling them onto the ice. Max tries to shoot Lena. Max being a five-year-old girl. Five-year-old, yeah. Like, which would traumatize her for the rest of the... Like, she's already traumatized, and then she has yep. to take the life of someone. Like, fuck this movie. Max tries to shoot Lena, but shatters the ice, sending Lena and Kate underwater. Kate climbs out with Lena clinging to her legs. Lena pleads with Kate to save her while hiding a knife behind her back. Okay, now this is... What? Like, like... That's like Megatron and Optimus Prime in the 1986 Transformers movie. <laughs> like, if you're taking plot points from, from children's cartoons from 35 years ago, I mean, it's a challenge. That movie did have Eric Idle, Orson Welles, 
and Leonard Nimoy in it. So it's and Judd Nelson, as we spoke <laughs> yeah, about before, right. they had to cast like yeah, like we spoke about this that you and I did on. They had to cast like a sexy young rule breaking transformer. And in 1986, they were like, "Who's the guy at the end of the Breakfast Club who puts <laughs> his fist up in the air? Let's get him!" And so Judd Nelson's like a. Forget your rules, <laughs> older Transformers. I'm here to do it the new way. <laughs> I'm John Nelson. I guess my point with that is Transformers movie is actually a great fit. And I'm not talking about the I'm talking about the cartoon, as Peach said, from the 80s. Mm. But horror films shouldn't be stealing plot points from it. Anyway, this is the final mm. line in the film, which I imagine if you're like a fucked person who has managed to go through and not notice any of the problematic things of the film so far would find mm. this like a super cool line. So Lena oh. pleads with Kate to save her while hiding a knife behind her back before Kate tells Lena that she's not her mother and kicks her, breaking her neck and sending her back into the water. How fucked is that? Like, just down to the point where if you adopt a child, you're their mother. Like, you like you can't take that back. It's your fault. It's your fault. <laughs> and if the adoption's not going well, like, you don't kill the child, for fuck's sake. And, and this is from a character who literally had a child die at the start of the film. Mm. This this film is every single thing we are against. It is written from a position of privilege, which you know we've spoken about how Shag and I are in positions of privilege, and and we we acknowledge those and we check those. And it's been written by someone in a position of privilege who has done zero thinking, zero reflection, and zero engagement with the world around him. Or both of the hymns. Like I'm certain it's a it's a privileged white man who wrote this, or, or or several of them. This is everything that is wrong with media, and it is everything we stand against here at Spooko Studios. Shaq, this is fucked. Well, Peach, you might be dismayed to know that in February of last year, the development of a prequel was announced called Esther with uh, Julia Stiles attached to be in it, which I'm quite surprised about. She she always came across as quite a feminist, patriarchy-smashing actress, or at least her role in 10 Things I Hate About You led me to believe that. <laughs> so I'm quite surprised by that. Yeah. But also, here's just like, just to end this episode on a funny mm. story from the world of horror, I've always talked about how it's really hard to get a horror film across the line without a title that explains what it is. So it was called Esther, but in November, the title was changed to Orphan First Kill. Just so we know it's a prequel. Oh my God. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all over it. Um, Shag, do you know what film we're going to put in place of uh, in place of Esther? What we're, we're, we're going to use to just bang it down further down the list of horror films ever made? Shard and I've had some further thoughts, right? Yes. Chardon is going to be, with Kelly's help, and Kelly's provided the background of this, so thanks to them, um, it's going to be our disappointed um, spouse movie, and it's going to be a movie essentially about um, gaslighting, right? There's going to be some awful event 40 years ago where our disgusting patriarchal husband catches our uh, wronged, um, spouse who who will be a female spouse, be a wife, um, in in something and utter some line of vengeance of like I'll like I'll get you for that. And what and what we then do is we sort of traverse forty years of 
um, hyper privilege and money and, and opportunities and that sort of thing. And what we then come to is the death of the husband who leaves the wife um, robbed of all these things due to the bankruptcy of the estate and stressed to the eyeballs with all sorts of people chasing her. And, and so what we have is the husband, the tormentor, the patriarchy, um, using the tools of the patriarchy to um, oppress the wife through the life and experiencing schadenfreude post, post-death, as it were, taking joy in the pain of someone else. And so that's sort of like where I've sort of got it plot-wise is some, is, is some event 30 or 40 years ago that we sort of half get in flashbacks and we don't quite know what we're flashing back to. I don't know if that's a bit of a played-out sort of, sort of mechanism that we then see like a promise of vengeance 40 years ago and then the vengeance being exacted is almost the literal haunting of like how can you haunt someone in real life? Like how can you be dead and ruin their life now that you're dead? And the answer is schadenfreude, like the answer's in the film. That's sort of where my head's at. Number one, Kelly, thank you again. And I appreciate mm. everyone who's helped feed in to Spooko Studios so far. You're at a mm. process in the creative stage, which is probably the toughest process where – you've had an amazing spark of inspiration. People have mm. built on it and you're really excited about mm. the idea, but now you actually have to make the thing. And it's the banality of that process that is the thing nobody, you know, until you properly work in a creative field that people don't actually realize. So you're there now and I'm so glad you're there now. And sometimes during that process, you need a lightning bolt of inspiration to just keep you going. And I'm not, I am in no way sucking up, but uh, my direct boss is one of the most inspiring dudes I know. And on, uh, maybe it was a Sunday morning, it was a public holiday morning. He sent me a Slack mm. message, Slack being the thing we use to communicate. It's one of those tools mm. lots of companies use. And he was like, hey, I had this thought about Spooko. And then he proceeded to send about a, like a proper like A4 page worth of text, which Peach, I'm going to take offline with you because there's a lot to it. But it's pretty exciting and it builds on Kelly. It builds on everything we've talked about already. And Peach, I don't think we've ever been closer to actually creating something. So Peach, stay tuned. Everybody, stay tuned. Is this going to make our writing camp tax deductible? (laughs) Uh, This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? It must be hard to love an adopted child as much as your own.